This is Dr. Jacqueline Duget, and you're listening to What is Black Podcast, where we have conversations about raising African-American children and the intersection of race, culture, and identity. So welcome our guest, Dr. Rihanna Anderson. Dr. Anderson, before we start, can you provide an overview of your professional background for our listeners so they get to know you a little bit better? Sure. So I'm a clinical psychologist by training with a community psychology background as well. I got my doctorate at the University of Virginia, did a clinical internship at the Yale School of Medicine, a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania in applied psychology, and I'm now an assistant professor at the University of Michigan School of Public Health in their health behavior and health education department. So again, thank you for joining us on the program today. I was very much interested um, in reaching out to talk with you, especially since our, since our podcast um, is focused on helping parents um, address race, culture, and identity with their kids. And I know that your research um, focuses on um, those top. Well, I know one of your areas of study is on racial discrimination, racial discrimination, and socialization in Black families to reduce racial stress and trauma and improve psychological well-being and family functioning. So I was curious, why why did you choose that as one of your areas of focus? Yeah, and it, you know, it, even when you say that, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of jargon. So I want to make sure that folks know what the heck all that even means, right? So um, I think growing up in Detroit, I saw a lot that was going on in the community, and I saw a lot of the ways that people addressed some of those problems. So um, when you think about community-level violence, or you think about gangs, you think about these these things that folks think of as urban problems. And one of the ways that I always thought about my life as someone who was very heavily influenced by my family and by culture was to think about how a lot of these things that people are engaging in are a form of family, and how oftentimes they're reaching out and saying that these are the supports that I need, and this is who I'm seeing providing these supports. Um, And in urban areas, we often don't find the range of support that we might find in areas that are more resourced. So I started with racial discrimination as a a thought of some of these problems because of some of the um, historical concepts of how some of these urban centers were created and and under-resourced. Again, in thinking about family, socialization, which is really the way in which families or people um, who are around youth socialize them to the world. So we do that often just thinking about if a stove is hot and a child goes to reach for the stove, we'll socialize them to say, ah, ah, hot, right? Or like we'll we'll make a, a flashing um, uh, like hand, we'll, we'll, you know, take our hand and flash it like, oh, that's hot, that's hot. So we're socializing kids to social norms all the time. Racial socialization is how do we Think about the racial world. What are some of the racial cues that you might get as a child of color in this society that are going to let you know if something is too hot, right? If, if, the, if the environment of this um, experience is too hot or if someone is trying to do something that um, can endanger you, how can we let children know about those situations? So I, I thought about my growing up in Detroit as really a series of things that happened because of discrimination and that were resolved or even buffered because of what socialization did to me within the family. And in a lot of ways, the things that smart kids are sometimes pushed towards, being a doctor, being a lawyer, those are fantastic, those are wonderful, and we need 
those things. And oftentimes in our urban environment, those are professions that can come after something has happened, right? So if someone has been involved in violence, then they go to see the doctor or after they've done something that society deems as problematic, then they get a lawyer. But I was really thinking about how can we prevent some of these problems that we're seeing in our community? How can we intervene before we see the outcomes that uh, may be a bit too late for some of our youth? So that's that's really what I wanted to think about with regards to mental health. How can we take a preventative approach with folks to, to have them think about their worth, to have them think about their wellness so that they can live the most advantageous lives that they were designed to live. My understanding of reading um, your research is one of those one of those preventative initiatives is that you have the Embrace program, which is a parenting program. Yeah, and I'm wondering again, how does how does that fit into um, the broader approach, um, that prevention approach um, for for kids and for families? Yeah. So with socialization, parents are often trying to socialize either after the first kind of mention of a racial, a racially discriminatory situation, right? So say you're watching TV with your kiddo, Trayvon Martin's story comes on, and now your kid is kind of looking at you like, wait a minute, kids like me are targeted? Like, what, I don't understand what, what's going on. So in that case, parents often react to the news and have to socialize their children at that moment. Some parents also choose to do it before um, they know that racial discrimination is on the way. So they try to do it a bit earlier. So we see about 10 years old as the time that parents are trying to prepare their kid for this racial world. And what we know from the literature is that uh, some strategies work better than others. So when you give your child a lot of cultural expression, like if we're going to African-American museum or we're wearing um, traditional garb or we're celebrating Kwanzaa, those types of cultural socializations mixed with this preparedness for bias. So, you know, I'm telling you, if you go into a store, you might have to take your hoodie down because some people, you know, are, are afraid of folks who are wearing hoodies, right? So if you're mixing this cultural strength with this preparedness, you often see really um, influential psychological outcomes, academic outcomes, identity-based outcomes. But some of the strategies like when we generalize our approach to mistrust, right? If we say all of these people can't be trusted, you can't trust any police officer, any white person, that that kind of generalized approach um, will yield anxiety for kids, will yield depression because some of them have to engage with these police officers or with these white folks and don't know now if they can trust any of them, right? Um, another approach that has mixed findings is this egalitarianism approach. And another word for that is like colorblindness or post-racial, where you kind of just wave away what race is doing in society. You won't be impacted by it. We're over it. It's done. So now children are going into the world blind, thinking that things are fine, and are now attributing any thing that's happening because of their race to them. So they're thinking that they're not good enough, they aren't um, achieving enough because they don't have any context, any racial context with which to see a more systematic or historical approach. So all that background to say there are some strategies that parents are using that are better than others. And what we're trying to do with Embrace is take the racial socialization literature and actually apply it. Say, okay, we know that some strategies work better. Let's start by really um, promoting those and seeing how we can fortify those. And for those strategies that aren't working as well, 
what's the rationale that parents are using? If I am telling you, you don't trust this group of people, it's not that I want to say, don't do that. That's, that's not a, a therapeutic approach. The approach is tell me a bit about why that's an important strategy for you. Is that something that you learn from your own parents? Is that something that you learn from your experience? And when you tell your child that, what is their reaction? Do you see the stress that comes on their face? Do they say, but my teacher said and so forth is nice. Are they trying to push back and don't quite have the vocabulary to, to talk to you as, as a child when you're trying to promote this strategy? Like, how is it that we can have a better balance between your hope that racism isn't going to be a problem in the future with the reality that it currently is? So how, do, how do we blend some of those problematic approaches with the reality that you've had, those experiences, and that your child is going to face these things. So we, we try to take the literature, we unpack it, we use therapeutic strategies to get a sense of why that's important for the parent to say, and what are some ways that we might be able to shape it a bit better for the psychological well-being of their child. Now, in the parenting classes, do you ever sort of unpack the history that the parent brings? Because because I had you know similar conversations with um, family just just this mm-hmm. past weekend, right? Because I was mentioning, right. Like, all right, well, I'm doing this podcast and and some of the great guests that I'm speaking with, but also too, you know, definitely making it, making it personal. I have, you know, I'm the mother of two African American um, boys or men. Right. I say they're young men, right? Because they're older now, and they also have young men that are African American. And then you know we really talked about. Like some of the stuff we bring into like our our childhood experiences, how our parents raised us. Right. You know, mm-hmm. very much. I think I was socialized, you know, you know, culturally. So were my so were my family members. You know, we read books, you know, James Baldwin. Um, you know, I lived in Washington, D.C., Howard University. I had an right. American pediatrician. But even some of the negative stuff. I'm just wondering now, it's kind of like at some point as a parent, you want to kind of feel confident that, well, this has gotten better. But right. then it's like you're hit with. Trayvon Martin and then you're stressed so I'm just wondering like how do you help parents even unpack their own history to then help to translate that so that they can you know do differently do quote-unquote do better for their kids or help their kids yeah that's that's actually one of the most important elements of embrace so I'm really happy that you asked that so instead of thinking of it as a parenting class per se this really is a therapeutic program for parents and children And the way that we go about doing this, um, a lot of strategies that you'll see is to focus on the parent as a parent. And so like most of this is about how do you parent better? How do you do something better for your kid? Whereas in Embrace, we have the parent and child separate first, and we're focusing on the parent as a human being, as an adult, as someone who may have not had um, any of this experience as a child or may have had, as you were saying, their own host of experiences that they have to contend with now as a parent. So we really want to get them in the room as a human, unpacking their own experience, unpacking their own stress. And then as we go into this dyadic or this family-based session after the individual sessions, that's when we can start to meld it a bit more into how can your experiences now as a parent be impacting your child? How is it that you all together are forming this family unit that um, can conquer anything as a unit with the knowledge that you all have of yourselves more fully and your your unit as a whole, right? So it's really critical um, in our program to think about what each person is bringing to the table and without their role as a, as a parent or the child as a human, right? How are, how are they experiencing what's going on in the world? How can that stress impact themselves first 
we often use the the plane metaphor, right? Of like, are you putting on your your uh, oxygen mask first? Are you dealing with what's going on with you? Because if you're not dealing with yourself, how can you ever parent effectively? How can you ever socialize effectively? We really have to make sure that the parent is is engaging with their own stress. So that's a huge component of embrace. So families that participate, um, how long are the are the sessions for collectively as a as a, as a family or even mm-hmm. individually as a parent and the child participate? Yeah, so it's a seven total week program. The first and seventh weeks are 120 minutes or two hours because we're uh, doing assessments. We're just trying to get a sense of how folks are doing before and after the program ends. And those middle five weeks where Embrace is actually implemented, they're 90 total minutes. So families come in and we spend 30 minutes with them separately, 15 minutes with them having um, like a dinner and a, a break with their clinicians and the research assistants, and then 45 minutes with the families together in a room. So 90 total minutes for that. And I, just a quick note on that. It might sound long, and I think a lot of folks are like, 90 minutes? Who has 90 minutes, you know, in a week to do anything? The thing that's been hilarious to us is like at maybe hour two or hour two and a half when we're with families, we're like, okay, we should probably tell them we have to go at some point that we have to, you know, get home or, you know, we need to see the next family. But um, it for the common conception that black folks don't do therapy, that they don't want to talk about what's going on. They want to talk about race. They want to talk about their family. They want to talk about what's going on in the world. And this five-week experience, virtually every family has said, we wish it were longer. We wish we had more time. We wish we could come back. Um, And and that's really just a testament to how culturally appropriate therapy can be impactful in the lives of Black families. But I also think you brought up a, a good point about, you know, misconception, I think sometimes, I mean, I've heard culturally, you know, being first generation and also African-American, I think mm-hmm. I've heard friends who are African-American and also friends who've had immigrant parents that, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about mental health, when we talk about going to therapy, you know, that's kind of shut down, right? It's kind of like, you know, you got to keep it in the family. Don't tell mm-hmm. anybody your secrets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think this hopefully is freeing for families because I know, I mean, yeah, we talk we talk about race in my family, even with my kids, my husband, you know, cousins. But like, if you want to talk talk with friends, I think it's it's not as easy to bring that up, right? Because it's kind of like, well, are, is your kid experiencing the same stress? You know, that mm. really doesn't come up in conversation. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, it's so interesting to me. I, I'm biracial, and I noticed very early in life that my Greek family did not talk about race the way that my black family did, even on days like Christmas where I would split my time between the families. And I'd go to a very sterile race uh, race conversation at, you know, in my Greek family's house. And immediately upon going into my black family's house, oh, this is the end. They just launched straight into it. And I've noticed that in, in virtually every aspect of my life, if I'm on a city bus, if I'm in a barbershop, if I'm in any of these spaces, I find race comes up pretty easily. And so the, the thing that you said that was really interesting to me is this idea of family and who's a part of your family. So who you can talk to about this. And if there are some friends who may not feel like they are able to talk about this, um, that's one thing. But I think with other friends, it, it may come up in another way because they feel so familial. And that's one thing with our program that we try to start very early, that we're we're not in this role as just therapists. We're not thinking about 
um, folks as our subjects or our patients or anything of that sort. Like we are a family trying to work through these issues together. And even our staff, the Embrace staff, or we call it Team Embrace, we, I mean, we are an absolute family thinking about these issues in a family way. How, how can we as a community, we as a family of mental health providers, make environments that are welcoming to all clients? And if all clients aren't being served, then we need to figure out better approaches for that. And that's where I think that even my conceptualization of communities or, or therapeutic spaces as family oriented really comes into play. Which I think is, which I think is good. And maybe I should, maybe I should step back my comment about talking. I think, I think we, my experience, right. So I guess I could just speak with my, from my experience. Mm-hmm. I, we talk about race, but I think in the context of how do you know to help make it better? Right. How mm-hmm. do you, you know, I think it's, for me, I think I most see. of my conversations have been like, oh, you know, this is going on, right? Mm-hmm. Or my, this is the experience my son had in school. But it's not necessarily like, then what's the next step? How can you right. better handle it? And I think right. I think that's the that's the gap that exists because I think, yeah, we can talk about the struggles, but it's like, how do you then get to that that next place? How can you better, how can you best help your kids? You know, and I think that, you know, we share some strategies, but still it's kind of like, you know, it's what you know, and if you if you can do better and find ways to let you know reach out to teachers and and again, I think those conversations and hopefully the therapy sessions that you have with those parent with parents is providing them those skills to take it to the next level. They can yeah. do with it as well as their kids, helping them kind of navigate if it's a school situation, a friend situation. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a really important place to jump in too because um, I'm often asked for podcasts or uh, articles, like, what can we do to stop this thing? And I'm like, if I knew the answer to that, I would be very wealthy and very famous and everyone would know me and I would hold the keys to an age-old question of the United States in particular, right? So, like, I don't think anyone who claims that they know what to say to kids to stop racism or to, you know, make them totally well I think that, that that would be a farce. But what we try to do in Embrace, really, again, instead of giving these didactic or like here are the, the five ways to end racism, is to think about the therapeutic process around this, that kids are terrified of what's going on, parents are terrified of what's going on, and sometimes our fear paralyzes us. It, it, it cripples us in a way that we are not, not, we are not able to uh, speak about it within our own families or with other folks. And we think because we don't have the answers, there's nothing to talk about. But talk therapy is one of the most effective strategies of just feeling better in that moment. Just one hour of talking with someone can alleviate a lot of the stress or um, depressive or anxious symptoms that we're feeling about some of these environmental issues. So I think that that's our argument there is that we don't have the exact answers on what to say, but the process by which we talk about it is what we would encourage you and your friends to do in any space, which is really just opening your mouth and starting somewhere because we don't have the critical way in which to solve it. But we do think that just starting those conversations can be an important first place. And that's what we're hoping our, our five weeks um, is doing for families to give them the, the practice points on where to start with each other, and then some of our, our coping strategies we hope will uh, persist outside of embrace. Which I think is which I think is a great service. Um, as a as a pediatrician by training, um, and 
And I think I've had opportunities to, to hear about your research and some of the some of the work that the AAP is doing, um, like with Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris and Dr. Um, Ashanta Anderson, mm-hmm. um, helping to provide pediatricians with more tools um, to talk with families. Because I think, you know, I guess in my experience, not many pediatricians have really um, even ventured into this area of discussion in terms of developmental or anticipatory guidance. So I think your work with those pediatricians, I think, will help, um, and other pediatricians as well that are, are doing some of this research and work as well, will help kind of change um, opportunities and provide even more opportunities for parents to learn more coping um, strategies and hopefully, you know, just help to, to further the the, comfort, the comfortness or the comfort level, I should say, mm-hmm. and parents having these conversations with each other and with their children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I was wondering in the in the program, have you noticed? Well, I don't know if parents or or the children that are in the program, if they've talked about the stress mm-hmm. of the media coverage lately. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's more and more um, information about police violence, uh, racial violence, racism, and I'm just wondering how do you, how do you help parents sort of navigate um, the media? being an influence or could be an influence in increasing stress. Yeah, so that, you know, you were mentioning the aspect about parents and, like, them thinking about their own experiences. And this is one of the things that we know is incredibly different for children relative to parents these days, that the way in which we learn about race and racism is so much more pervasive and so... um, so different from, I'll just, I'll use my mom as an example. So my mom growing up, I think racial socialization was this way, this very classic way in which information would flow. It would be top down. The parent would tell the child, great. Um, the media that my mother was watching, the mass media, is, is, was limited to a very few set of stations to what um, was perceived as acceptable at that time to show on TV. So there wasn't as much Um, you know, explicit and graphic content. These days, whether you are telling your child something or not, which is the key to a lot of our conversations, that whether you want your child to know about race and racism or not, they're going to find out because it's not flowing from parent to child as much anymore. It's flowing from mass and uh, both mass and social media in ways that you can't control it. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing incredibly graphic content, both, um, on kids' phones and in, you know, the mass media, because now the mass media has to keep up with what's going on on phones. So they're showing incredible things on both TV and, you know, personal uh, phones. So that part is it's incredibly important for parents to realize that these conversations have to happen because children are seeing it everywhere. It's pervasive. It's nonstop. It's 24-7. It's on every um platform that you can think of. And the the thing that I think is most important there is that it's whether children elect to see it or not. So that automatic playback, I often tell my story as a trained clinical psychologist, someone who um, knows what trauma can do to you. The the day that I was traveling, it was uh, July 4th and 5th when I was traveling uh, to a conference on ethnic minority psychological issues when you had the, the back-to-back Alton Sterling and Philando Castile killings. And I'm, I was fully aware of 
the killing that happened the day before with Alton Sterling. And when I saw the headline on my phone, it said another one. And I thought it was like another angle of the killings. I was really interested in seeing if there was a better uh, video uh, from the one that was um, held on the camera phone of the person in a car in the parking lot with Alton Sterling. But then I saw that they meant, oh, another person. And I stood for one hour watching the, the Facebook um, live playback from Philando's partner, and I could not move. I was frozen for one hour watching this image of this man who was, tr- quote, trying to do the right thing, was trying to present um, his paperwork and his weapon and, and whose life was taken as a result. And I could not move. I was frozen. I was crying. And until I looked up and saw that an hour had gone by, that it had turned dark in my hotel room, that I was, I had not put my coat down, my, my bag. I was just frozen watching this thing. I love to share that story because, again, I'm trained. I've been doing this for a, de- a you know decade plus, And I couldn't put the phone down. So if we think our kids at 10 years old, are learned enough to know what content to screen and, and whatnot. Like, we're sadly mistaken. Our kids are being exposed to these traumas constantly. So what we need to do as parents, to, to address your question then, is to, again, start with these conversations of, I know that there's a lot that's going to be shown to you on TV and on the phone. So the, the first thing is you have the option of cutting it off. You don't have to be desensitized to this content. I know that it hurts when we see someone who looks like us taken away. I know that someone your age uh, may be taken away. We don't have to expose ourselves to this. That's creating trauma and stress in us. So we can cut it off if we want to. If we do think it's important to watch, I want to be able to talk with you about it, sweetheart. When you've seen something like that, come to me and tell me what it is that you're seeing and how you're feeling. And I'll express to you how that makes me feel too. And most importantly, once we've been able to process those things, we can think about what it is that we want to do, right? So I know that not everything that I'm going to tell you to do is going to keep you safe because other people have distorted thoughts of who you are, right? You cannot control how other people perceive you at the end of the day. They have this really um, distorted way of thinking about you and your humanity Sometimes that's out of our control. But what I can do is instill in you a sense of agency agency and in pride so that if you want to go out and create a protest, if you want to go out and talk to someone at your school about these problems, if you want to create a club at your school to talk to other children about this, if you want to donate some flowers to the family who just lost a young one because that's part of coping and healing, then I'm going to support you in doing that. And I'm going to show you what I've done to address my own stress and concern and what I want to do in these moments. We're going to talk about and express to each other how we can get through these really challenging times. So it sounds like even, you know, again, the media exposure, social media, mass media, and even just parenting in general. I think that the common theme that I'm hearing is that it really is about, like you said, having the conversation, right? We've got to be open to, it could be an awkward conversation, but at least we are, we're starting to talk, right? Yes. We're starting to yes. engage, hear, our, you know, and listen as well. Absolutely. In some of your work as well, you're a strong advocate for prioritizing um, mental health care for, for African-Americans, Black America. And I was wondering if you could share a little information about um, your, what, what you call it, our health minute that you do with your colleague, Dr. Sham Jones, and how that, how you, how that platform is used to promote mental health. 
Yeah, yeah so it's, it's our Mental Health Minute, and it's Dr. Sean Jones. Um, so Sean and I met at a conference years ago, and we had very similar ideas about how we wanted to impact stigma that a lot of black folks have, again, that, that we've been talking about and that you said really perfectly, keep it in the family, don't air our dirty laundry, right? So folks are really suffering and um, within our community, it was just really hard to have these conversa- conversations. So we were new to grad school. We were thinking about, well, how can we impact this? And the very common way that most academics impact it is, is through the literature, which five people are reading within their own discipline, right? Mm-hmm. But we're, you know, certainly not digital natives, but we, we certainly were one of the first generations to grow up with social media. So we were thinking, well, what type of media platforms could we use to get our message across? We didn't want it to be text-based, per se, because we wanted folks to be able to engage with it easily and it, for it to be entertaining. And at the time, um, Vine and YouTube were really popular ways of getting messages across. So we thought, okay, it needs to be quick, it needs to be catchy, and we need to be able to reach folks um, who don't speak academies, right? Because only 1% of our you know, population has a PhD and it's incredibly um, fractioned by, by race and income. So we didn't want to use this academies, this jargon. So we're like, okay, let's let's talk like, you know, the folks that we grew up around, that who we are at the end of the day. You know, we were both raised in urban environments. Like, we, let's just talk so that anyone in our community would know what the heck we're talking about. So the timing of it is important to keep it short, to keep it brief. Um, and so we try to do one minute videos. We do not, um, <laughs> we're not successful often, it typically creeps up on two minutes or so, but we try to do a minute for your health or one minute for your mind, which is our tagline. And we cover everything. We've, uh, the, the basic things that we wanted to start with on our YouTube platform and eventually did, um, Facebook videos as well for our Facebook page, but we really wanted to cover like what is therapy in the first place. So we have one where Sean is like laying across the couch and I'm asking him what he's doing. He's like, this is what therapy looks like, right? I'm like, no, not necessarily. We cover everything in that episode about um, the financial investment, the time, the different types of strategies that one might use. So just what is therapy? Popping the hood on this question of what this thing is. And then we cover some of the topical pieces about depression or anxiety or some of the uh, various personality disorders, we try to get into what are what do these things look like that you probably know somebody with this, right? If it's not you um, yourself, and what are some of the things that you can do to get treatment or, and what are resources? So we try very desperately to, to um, have links at the end or um, within our comments of, of things that people can do to engage uh, their selves or their their loved ones in treatment if they are seeing something that resonates with them in our episode. Um, so we've tried to cover the gamut, and, and Sean and I um, launched this in 2014. We were able to shoot quite a few episodes when we were both fellows at the University of Pennsylvania um, and have since not lived in the same state. So it becomes a bit challenging to shoot, but we are thinking about, like, how do we keep this going either via a podcast or when we see each other at different conferences? How can we continue shooting? Because it's clear that uh, folks really were benefiting from some of the information that we were uh, teaching folks and, and that it 
was a format that was really working for a lot of people outside of the academic community. So would you say your videos um, will also be accessible to parents? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we actually have done some on racial socialization and parenting in particular, because that's what Dr. Jones and I uh, focus on. So we um, really wanted to use them. And I use them constantly in Embrace or when I'm doing parenting talks, I'll uh, just let our our episode talk for me because it's a two minute, very quick summary on the things that we were talking about earlier with, you know, preparation and promotion of distress, all those things are, are neatly packaged there. And then issues of parenting and, and uh, ch- uh, child-focused content. Well, again, we have those two-minute videos focused on that. So um, absolutely, parents can engage with that content. And hopefully, do you mind if I put a link to some of those oh, videos? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And I think... I'm I'm thinking about doing another episode just about mental health in general in the African American community because mm-hmm. um, I loved I saw your video um, on your website about how just the socialization of African Americans just historically has impacted um, our mental health and well being. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, I think that's a I think that's an important topic, and I think definitely your um, your parenting um, tips I think kind of help probably bridge that um, for parents to parents and kids to sort of deal with that because I think the stuff that's happening now um, race racial trauma it's all is all rooted in in his in a historical context so yeah and that so again just to plug Dr. Jones work as well you said rooted which is actually the name of his program so he works um, with black parents together to kind of think about how they want to tag team in their socialization approach. So he, he thinks a lot about the historical piece as well. So I think what you've got in the scholars that are coming out of our generation um, is this gratitude to the scholars who came before us who really just gave a platform to racial issues as something that's important because prior to about the 1970s or so, you just didn't see culture being recognized in mental health or psychology so we're really grateful to the folks that gave us the platform to not only say, yeah, race matters, and there are things that adults or parents are having to contend with in the raising of their children. So from a developmental perspective or a, um, a parenting approach, we can't just look through the same glasses and say, oh, well, all parents are thinking about the safety of their child the same way or the rearing of their child the same way. It's like, actually, no, there are some really specific stressors, and and that's what some of my work has found, is that um, racial discrimination from a parenting perspective is actually really different and impacts the parenting um, practices and the parenting well-being very differently than things like poverty or or other types of stress. So it it operates very uniquely, and you see that it's um, handled very differently in the community. People, as you said, even within the same community, sometimes find it challenging to address. So how on earth do we anticipate folks who are outside of that culture or haven't been trained in that uh, cultural perspective to, to assuage some of those concerns in a therapeutic or an academic space, right? So mm-hmm. it's incredibly important, I think, for the scholars coming out of our generation to be rooted in this historical grounding and to say, not only do we know that, but how do we start to impact 
this so that um, psychology is actually doing good for, for all people as we say we want it to. And also think too, I think owning that as a parent, and again, I'm just, I am, I'm personalizing it now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in terms of, I know the impact that's had, right? I, you know, I shared an experience with family about, you know, one of my sons and school, right? So I'm, I'm getting defensive with the teacher mm-hmm. because I'm, I have, I'm already like, someone's going to say something about my black son, mm-hmm. but there's that stress there. And then also too, there's also, I may unfortunately sometimes put on unnecessary stress on my kids as well because I have you know like I'm going to make sure you get to the finish line right and no one's going to judge you but it's kind of like but my kid has to still still has to grow up himself but I think having this this freedom to now say like you know these are things we should talk about we do talk about and we own it and we deal with our like you said in your parenting the parenting program parents get to sort of unpack their baggage as well right so that our kids can thrive and it's not solely like this fear-based parenting Right. Right. And one thing um, that you said is, it's, you know, it's very common that we might tell our kids like, oh, you know, you have to do this or um, more commonly, like, you know, you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. That's, you know, a really common adage. And the, the person who mentored Sean and I, Dr. Howard Stevenson at the University of Pennsylvania, has this thought that, that we're publishing in a paper about, you know, the adage is you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. But at the end of the day, if your kid is still bumping against a glass ceiling that's preventing them from from going further, then what isn't being resolved in that statement? Like, what is your child not getting from that statement to to heal? So it might be important not only to give an adage like that, but to say, you know, mom is really frustrated that even if you do work, this hard. Sometimes you can't get half as far. And so I want to think with you about if you hit those glass ceilings, mm-hmm. like what it means for you to then come and process that with me. Or, or again, how do we advocate so that we can start to shatter some of these ceilings that it doesn't just stop you, that you're able to now do something about it. And that's, that's at the end of the day, what our work is all about. How do we, how do we have psychologically well children who are going to do the work that we were never able to do? That could be the advocates of change in ways that our generations were never able to do because we weren't well enough to do that for ourselves. Oh, I think that's I think you're you're doing great work. Thank you. And, I, you know, my my intent for the podcast, you know, again, comes out of my my interest in exploring the topic. But I but I think I think I'm hearing more and more like affirmations that other people are kind of yearning for more of this information. Mm-hmm. Um, and strategies and again I think they're kind of they're I'm not saying quote unquote they're quote unquote simple but it really is about like you said just talking listening and just working through it right and then some of the some of the those conversation starters or suggestions that you've provided I think hopefully will, will empower will empower parents yeah and I'm, I'm happy to send you a link um to something that was just published but I can share these three things that you again that you said you know pretty succinctly yourself that um, the things that I always encourage families is that one talking is both said and unsaid so sometimes you don't think that your kid is picking up on stuff because you know you were able to shut off the tv quick enough or you know you're you dried your tears quick enough but your kids pick up on everything so making sure that whether you say it or you're just showing it in your body or or in your 
um, household as, as frustration that you're unpacking that with your child. The second is that you have to start somewhere. So again, even if it's just the inquiry of how do you feel about this, that's starting the conversation. No one knows exactly what to say, but you have to just start the conversation. And the third, which we've already talked about, is do you understand your own stress? <clears throat> so it's really hard to attend to your child as a parent if you're still operating from the space of, of a hurt human yourself. So we have to understand yourself as an adult, as a human, as a child who may not have ever had that um, socialization or that unpacking of stress yourself. We have to work on that first so that you can understand what you might be passing on to your child in these conversations. So talk to a partner, a friend, a therapist about how you're dealing with this so that uh, we can make conscious decisions on how we're talking to our children. So definitely I would love to share um, any resource, any resources that you have um, that can help, um, help other parents. Absolutely. So this has been a great conversation. Uh, Rihanna to, if people want to learn more about your research or learn about um, how they can enroll in the Embrace classes. I know it's currently um, at the University of Michigan or in that Detroit area, but if they mm -hmm. wanted to learn more about it, if they're in that area, how can they um, reach out to you or reach out to the program? Yeah, so we, we are hoping to kick off in September of 2019. We're just doing some piloting in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area right now, but hoping to kick off in 2019 in Detroit. So if families are interested, you can always reach out to me at Rihanna, R-I-A-N-A-E, Rihanna E at umich.edu, or you can go to the embraceprogram.com's website, and you can click around there. We have some interest forms that you can um, reach out to us in that way as well, so we'd be happy to talk with you about what enrollment would look like. And even if you're a family that's not in the area, uh, we are happy to send you some of our materials, or to your point, we're hoping to partner with different types of um, communities, so uh, communities of pediatricians or um, hoping to train different types of therapists around the United States as we learn more about this program's effectiveness. So if we are doing what we say that we are doing, we're getting um, data that's, that's saying that it's working, we hope to be able to train a lot of people in our our methodology. So even if it's not in a city near you right now, we can get you some resources and we're hoping that it'll get to you within the next five years or so. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Anderson. Thank you. Thank you for joining us and listening to What is Black Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Check out our website to subscribe.